Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson. Welcome back. This is Scott Simpson filling in for Boyd Matheson uh, here at Inside Sources. You know, it, I think it's human nature for us to look for leadership. We're always on the lookout for those that uh, project good leadership. And with all the political and sometimes social chaos here in the United States, some conservatives are looking towards the country of Hungary, of all places, as an example of good leadership. But is that really true? We have with us today uh, Dalibor Rohak, who is a senior fellow at American Enterprise Institute, who has a, a, a sort of a different view about that. Dalibor, thank you for joining us today. Oh, great to be with you, Scott. Tell me, um, what are the things about this Hungarian president, Viktor Orban, that are so attractive to American conservatives? Well, I think, first of all, the, the, the most important characteristic of Viktor Orban is that he is a very skilled and very successful politician who has been uh, really at the forefront of Hungarian politics for decades. He started as a student leader in the late 1980s uh, as a sort of anti-communist, but broadly speaking, liberal voice who actually in in 1989 went to Oxford on a George Soros scholarship. And then he led uh, between 1998 and 2002 a center-right, pro-European, pro-Western government that met, made very important strides reforming Hungary and bringing it, bringing it into the community of Western democracies. Um, and then during his time in opposition, um, before the financial crisis, he sort of radicalized, if you will, and became the kind of nationalist leader that we know that we know today, he returned to power in 2010, and he's been winning elections since. And uh, he's been presenting himself as really the authentic voice of, of the conservative right in Europe, especially to American conservatives. So the CPAC con- conference was held in Budapest this year. Many American commentators and, and, and pundits have been to Hungary, not least Tucker Carlson. And, and, and so, so he's been really successful in sort of selling that, that vision of, of, of conservatism to Americans. Um, you you that, make the case vision, you, you yeah. make the case that he's not a conservative. Can you can you uh, expound on that? Exactly. So 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 that vision of conservatism that he is selling is is really very thin and and is limited to to culture wars. And 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 it's really important, I think, to to look beyond the culture wars that very often are not even that salient in Hungary as such. 
I mean, you know, it is a very different society from from America, and and Americans have all this uh, tendency to project our conflicts onto 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 different countries. But but if you look at the way he has governed as as, as prime minister and his actual policy record, it's it's a policy record that's you know very unfriendly to free markets, very unfriendly to you know economic competition, very unfriendly to limited government and checks and balances. He has concentrated power and entrenched his party in power in, in, in ways that would be unthinkable in America. And most seriously, uh, from an American perspective, Viktor Orban has been a leader who has made an outreach to, to Russia and China a centerpiece of his foreign policy, very often even rebuking the Trump administration over issues such as uh, such as uh, Huawei, the Chinese you know, telecom company that's right. investing in Hungary's 5G networks. Uh, Hungary is part of the Road and Belt uh, initiative. And in recent months, it's been really undercutting um, the alliance's response to Russia's aggression against Ukraine. He appeared to get a carve-out from the oil embargo. How did that work? Well, because the European Union uh, makes decisions uh, through consensus at the unanimity, uh, he was essentially blocking the oil embargo for weeks until he was able to secure a carve out that will make sure that Hungary will actually uh, make great deal of money out of Russian oil, which is still uh, being shipped uh, by by the pipeline to to Hungary and, and refined in Hungarian refineries, and that will actually help him plug. A massive hole in, in in the government budget, which has been running huge deficits, especially going into this year's election. Uh, you know, he went on a massive spending spree before the election, and and this will this will help him, and this will also help the Russians. So, so it's not exactly a you know example of fiscal soundness, and it's not exactly an example of of, of you know a principled foreign policy outlook. You mentioned that he's champion of culture war issues. Can you speak, give a, say more about that? Were you talking about domestic social policy like LGBTQ issues, those sorts of things? Exactly. So, so obviously, um, Orban, I think, made made the rounds in, in sort of Western press uh, around 2015-16 during the refugee crisis when Hungary, um, again, stood against this idea of, of, of mandatory refugee relocation quotas and and, and, and famously closed its border to to refugee flows. Uh, and, more, and more recently, uh, there has been legislation adopted in, in, in Hungary, which was has been since emu- since then emulated in places like Florida, right? Trying to sort of uh, restrict the content of of, of, of of you know elementary school curricula, the way you know questions around gender and sexuality are thought. Uh, and, and and these are actually things that that don't have that much resonance in, in, in Hungary, to be to be to be perfectly frank. Uh, you know, in, in Central Europe is is a very diverse region. You know, you have countries like Poland, which are overwhelmingly Catholic and and very socially conservative, and and, and Poles have had their own culture wars around, say, abortion. Uh, Hungary, generally speaking, is is is, is a more liberal and, and sort of relaxed society when it comes to questions of, 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 of sexuality. So you almost have to wonder to what extent some of these culture war issues are really sort of tailor-made for Orban to build, to buy him goodwill among American conservatives rather than, than, than you know, speak to genuine 
Hungarian domestic debate and domestic domestic divides. So, so I I would I would certainly very much discount these policies. You know, wherever you stand on these issues, uh, this is not. You know, the the the, the at, at the centre of attention of, of of Hungarian voters these days, and and, and really the, the the policies that do matter uh, are being handled by by Orbán government in a, in a very unconservative way, if you if you will. Dalibor Rohak, senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute, making a case that it's uh, inappropriate for conservatives in America to lionize um, the president of Hungary, Mr. Orbán. Thank you for joining us on Inside Sources. Coming up. We could be in for a very long war in the Ukraine, and we'll talk about why this. we need to be ready for this and prepared and what this means for the U.S. and for our economy with Tucci, J.D. Tuchili uh, from Reason next. A stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.